Made of a thin, wafer-like dough, this crisp flatbread is a holiday tradition in Iceland. Many families make it together a few days before Christmas. Some Icelanders joke that it's the only time of year the men will help in the kitchen. It's first cut into intricate geometric patterns, then deep fried and saved to be eaten as an accompaniment to Christmas dinner. We're exploring the history and origins of this Christmas treat, Lofarbot. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. This is our third season, so thank you all to the listeners and subscribers of the podcast. As ever, Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you love the show, I humbly ask you to share this podcast with some you think would love to hear more about the history of Christmas and the foods which shape the holiday we love so much. And if you want to give me suggestions for future episodes, just email me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. All the links can be found in the show notes at seasonseatingspodcast.com. When I was younger, I was taught how to make snowflakes out of paper. I would cut a circle, fold the paper many times, and cut patterns out of them. Then unfold the paper and you would have an amazing paper snowflake to hang in your window. Well, in Iceland, they have essentially the same idea, but in a thin bread called lofarbrod, or leaf bread. In centuries past, the average Icelander seldom saw wheat to bake bread. Wheat was an imported good, and rarely so. Only the wealthiest families had access to this simple ingredient. Much tradition surrounds the makings of this deep-fried bread disc. In December, families all around Iceland get together to make the thin cakes that are sliced and carved with sometimes intricate patterns and deep-fried in sunflower oil, or more traditionally, lamb fat. Though the patterns decorating the seasonal delicacy can resemble tree leaves, that is not the source of the bread's name. The leaf bread is actually named after its thickness, or more appropriately, its thinness. The name comes from the fact that it's rolled out extremely thin. The origin of the bread is unknown, but it's thought likely that the know-how, that is, to roll the dough with liquid and meal and fried in fat, came from the settlers in the 9th and 10th centuries. The first written source of Lofrabrod is the oldest known Icelandic recipe book from the late 18th century. It was likely written for wealthy people since the recipe calls for wheat flour, cream, and butter, three things most Icelanders had no access to. Rye flour and barley was likely used instead of wheat flour, and fat instead of butter. Originally, Iceland was less wealthy, so items like flour, sugar, and salt were difficult to come by, especially in the winter. Before the 18th century, Icelanders had no means to mill their own flour. 
The flour and ground corn that was important was expensive, and only the exceptionally rich were able to afford it. In addition, the imported stuff was often moldy because the Danish Malapinli merchants weren't particularly concerned about the quality of flour they acquired for Iceland. The Enlightenment had a strong and lasting influence on Icelandic intellectual and social life, as it did in most of Europe. It was influenced by Danish and German thought and dominated Icelandic life from the mid to late 18th to the early 19th centuries. The central idea was the belief of progress through human effort. During the period of enlightenment in the 18th century, the Icelandic people imported cairns, stone tools used for grinding. They were also taught how to build querns and their own water mills. So now they could import whole corn instead, which was cheaper, and grind the grain themselves. However, grain stayed scarce. People still had to make do with what grains they had, so the ingredient was reserved for festival times and special occasions. Food items like flour, sugar, and salt were expensive and were rationed. Flour was only used for special occasions like holidays. The dough was rolled very thin, not for aesthetic value, but in an effort to feed as many mouths as possible. The intricate designs also served a purpose. If each person took time and care to make their dough unique, there would be hopefully greater care and satisfaction when eating it later. By the end of the 19th century, the Lofrabrauth, and not least the Lofrabrauth making, had become a regular part of Christmas celebrations in the countryside of both the North and the Northeast, and no doubt in other parts of the country. It was mainly the Southwest that slightly infected by the leaf bread. The recipe for the leaf bread was published in the turn of the 1800s. The puff pastry is spoken of in the following way. Puffed bread or cakes of wheat dough, moistened in sugar, mixed good milk or cream, cut out in various ways, cooked in melted butter, are so common there's no need to say more about them. So, the author of that recipe book thought that the Lofferbrauch was so well known, there was no point in writing about how they were made or what ingredients were needed. It can be assumed that Lofferbrauch was eaten all around the country. This serving of puff pastry in the first Icelandic cookbook has upset many people interested in Icelandic cooking traditions. She still says a lot of things, and the main one is that puff pastry has not been a popular food at the time. Only the richest people in the country could afford to buy wheat, which was always in short supply until the very last century. Also, butter and cream was something that was only associated with a few better homes and then for festive occasions and when guests arrived. It can be argued that when other flours such as barley or rye were used with the wheat flour or instead of wheat flour and the butter was replaced with tallow, these overly decorated thin cakes became more common sweets among the public. Various things are done to flavor the puff pastry and one of the most original methods the author knows of is to boil cumin in the milk to be used in the dough and then filter it. 
but by the end of the 19th century, their tradition of eating Loferbrauch had almost died out because wheat flour had become more readily available by all. It wasn't until the middle of the 20th century when Loferbrauch became popular again. Today, it's an integral part of the Icelandic Christmas tradition. We'll find out how the Loferbrauch is made after the break. like about Christmas? The music, the movies, the traditions, the food, the history, all of the above? Then the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is for you. Tune in every month to hear a marginally successful stand-up comedian dig into topics like Charlie Brown Christmas, Bing Crosby, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, Jingle Bells, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, The Christmas Truce of World War I, Die Hard, Bethlehem, Gift of the Magi, Haunted Mansion Holiday, Andy Williams, Christmas Lights, Nativity Scenes, Nat King Cole, Before Christmas, Toys R Us, Silent Night, Hell the Grinch, She's going to take way too long to cover all the stuff we've talked about. Just join us at Can't Wait for Christmas Pod on the 25th of every month for the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, where our motto is, keep laughing all the way. This is Craig Kringle from the Weird Christmas Podcast. About three years ago, I went looking for very short, very strange stories that I could read on my show, but I couldn't find much. Or not much that was sufficiently weird, so I thought, why not ask people to write some? And thus was born the annual Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest. You can get all the details at weirdchristmas.com, but basically, I'm asking you to tell me a story that keeps Christmas weird. That can be funny weird, or creepy weird, or just plain what the nutcracker surreal. Keep it under 350 words, send it to weirdxmas at gmail.com by November 1st, and you could win some cash. Prizes range from $5 to $50, and I choose about a dozen to read on the show and publish on my website. Head over to weirdchristmas.com to see the winners and honorable mentions from the last couple years. Here's a quick sample to get that creative eggnog flowing. He glanced in terror at the other reindeer galloping beside him. Its eyes were as blue and as human as his were. He dropped Bill's head on his body and used his incinerator to fry Bill until he was dust. I guess I'm going to have a Merry Christmas after all. He felt himself shrinking till he couldn't have been more than a couple of inches high. A huge hand picked him up and placed him on the mantelpiece beside another motionless Santa. People don't like the baby Jesus to go missing from their nativity scene, they said. I shrugged. People were petty. I'm sorry there was no Santa, but I did provide an elf. Number four was a grand old patriarch, but we were ready for him. When he came crashing down the chimney, sermon in mid-flow, he landed right in the net we had tied to the mantelpiece. Traditions are great and all, but sometimes you just need Christmas to get a little bit weird. And I'm hoping you'll help me make it even weirder. So visit me at weirdchristmas.com, and I hope I'll get to read your stories soon. Christmas is filled with so many personal memories, and making the Loferbrauch was no different. Many families have their own traditions surrounding the bread. They gather together in the beginning of December, usually on the first Sunday of Advent, and make a full day out of it. Groups of 12 to 15 can make several hundred cakes at a time. At the end of the day, the cakes are split evenly between all and stored in cookie tins until Christmas. Recipes are passed down from mother to daughter 
and there were also designs passed down through generations. The leaf bread is circular. You can make a square or a triangle, but it's circular for a reason. It's the biggest size you can make that fits in your pot. So it happens to fit nicely into big tin cans like the Quality Street chocolate cans. It's paper thin. First to make the best use of the flour, secondly to make it low moisture so it keeps for longer. And third, it's fun to eat. It's crunchy. It's also common to use a mixture of ammonium bicarbonate and ammonium carbamate, or hyorthan salt, or deer antler salt. Nowadays, it's common to use baking powder instead. The dough has to be so thin that you can read a newspaper through it. And then it's decorated. Not all Icelandic food looks good, we admit, but Lofurbauth is one of the exceptions. The dough is kneaded by hand, rolled into a long cylinder, and wrapped, usually in a tea towel, and allowed to rest. Today, bakeries will sell pre-kneaded and cut dough that only needs to be decorated and fried. But where's the fun in that? The cylinder is cut into about 40 to 50 pieces. They are flattened by a rolling pin as thin as they can possibly be. The dough dries out quickly and must be kept wrapped. Once a slice is cut off for decorating, the cylinder of dough is immediately wrapped up again, usually in a tea towel. Scraps and cutoffs aren't re-kneaded because they will just dry out, so they're often fried and eaten as like a warm treat. And before you start dumping them in the oil, you need to make sure of a few things. In the past, it was fried in lamb fat, which gave it a very particular flavor, but today it's fried in vegetable oil. The bread has to be ready and must fit in the oil, and it has to be flat in the oil. You have to prick a few holes here and there, either with a knife or a fork, otherwise you risk the big bubbles. And you have to make sure that the temperature is right, 180 degrees centigrade or 350 degrees Fahrenheit. You can choose which one. The oil of choice is usually some sort of neutral vegetable oil that hasn't got any taste. In Iceland, you can buy frying fat. That's just palm oil. Today, tallow or lamb fat or oil is generally only used for the frying, but that's the last stage. Before frying, beautiful patterns are cut into the bread. They're both traditional and individual. Some are elaborate, while others are simple. But cutting the design is what makes the Lofabroth the unique Christmas tradition it is. Originally, a pocket knife was used to do the cutting, but by the middle of the 20th century, a special Lofarraus knife were manufactured, usually made from copper. A plate is placed on top of the rolled out dough, and a circle is traced using a Kleinhuyl, a knife that resembles a pizza cutter. Today, the bread is usually decorated with a special knife, called a Lofarbradsjarn, but some families still use pocket knives. In that case, each circle of dough is folded into a half moon, and small slantwise cuts are carved into it. Once this is done, the half moon is unfolded and every other leaf is flipped back. It's also a popular practice to carve the first letter of the names of everyone in the family into a cake, the letter S being the hardest. To keep the dough from air bubbling too much during the frying, the cakes are pricked with a fork several times. 
They're allowed to brown on one side and then are flipped for a few seconds. When they're pulled out of the oil, they're laid on a paper towel to absorb the excess fat. The cakes must be pressed immediately after frying to keep them flat. Most Icelanders use a round wooden plate with a handle. Children often make these for their parents or grandparents in carpenter classes at school. Lofrbrauch is a winter food, mostly associated with Christmas, but it's also eaten at Throrblot, which is a midwinter festival. Now, Christmas and Thorblot don't have much in common, but wait, there's something that they might have in common. Hangigjokt, smoked leg of lamb. On Christmas Day, two-thirds of Icelanders eat lamb, and you just have to eat it with lofabauth. They somehow go very well together, at least according to nostalgia. During Christmas, Icelanders eat it all the time as a snack with beer or malt. And before you eat it, you have to make it. There's a beautiful tradition of families making Lofarblauth on Sunday that marks the beginning of Advent, when generations pass down their knowledge, and the older generation making the dough and flattening it, passing it on to the younger generation for decorating before they receive it back for frying. Most people today buy ready-made dough from the supermarket. It's already been rolled out, and is each and one of them has its own baking paper for easy access. All that's left is to cut it and fry it, which still can take hours. Now it's come to the point that it's been heard that pasta machines have taken over the part of flattening the dough thin enough, but that must mean that smaller pieces are made than the bread that's cut from the dinner plate. And finally, it's nice to note that the loaf of broth, like many other Christmas traditions, has found its way into poetry. On Christmas Eve in 1915, a poem by Sigurd Sigurdsson appeared in Morgenblathen called Christmas Eve, and its second stanza goes like this. The kids' night out, which ends all too soon. After a laugh, the cute little girl. Good night. Mom picks up Lofrogaut with cures everything immediately. A child naps with a slice in hand until the next day. An Icelandic roots folklorist and librarian shares her memories of making Lofrogaut with her family. One of my family's Christmas traditions when I was growing up was making Lofrogaut. A few days before Christmas, we would take a day or an evening to carve and fry the loaf of broth. My mom would make the dough. That was all hard work because the dough needed to be a certain density, then it had to be rolled out real thin. This was all done by hand. When that was done and ready, my mom would pick up a plate on the dough and cut around the edges to make each loaf of broth the same size. My dad, my sisters, my brothers-in-law and I, and later my nieces, would sit around the kitchen table and carve out different patterns. Once they were ready, my mom would deep fry them and place them on a baking pan by the open window to cool off. She had a special pot for deep frying the Lofarroth and Kleiner, which is an Icelandic twisted donut. It was a great time, being with family, talking, laughing, and helping each other with the making of the Lofarroth. Today, Lofarroth can be bought in stores and bakeries before Christmas, either fully cooked or ready for carving and frying, but many people still make their own. There's something about the homemade Lofrbauth that makes the best. Lofrbauth is usually enjoyed alongside potatoes and peas and cabbage and hangikot, the Icelandic smoked lamb. Although it's believed to have originated in the north, the bread is prepared and enjoyed throughout the country. 
Nothing can replace the art of making loaf for both at home, and many families still make it by hand. Taking the opportunity to socialize and enjoy each other's company while keeping the long-held tradition alive. Making Lofreboth is both a cherished culinary tradition and a reminder of the hardships of the past. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know that you've left the review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. I know we all get busy, so even sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would be a great help. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings has great items for you or your loved ones for the holiday season. Head on over to SeasonsEatings.com, click on the merchandise tab, and find your next great gift. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and thank you for listening and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. Whatever interest you have with the holidays, there's probably a podcast out there covering that topic. You can find Seasons Eatings with all the other podcasts at christmaspodcast.com. Drop on by to find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license. <laughs>